Welcome to Trash Compactor. I'm Josh, and joining us today is John. Hello. Russ. Hi. And Fry. Hello. And today we're going to be doing something fun. It's a thought experiment. Uh, today is Prequels 1986. Basically, this started as an email chain between Russ and John and myself a few years ago. We were doing a thought experiment. One of the things that you run into when comparing the prequel trilogy films with the original trilogy films that makes it difficult to judge is the 16-year time gap between Return of the Jedi and The Phantom Menace. So a lot of things have changed. George Lucas has changed in terms of his sensibilities and the things he's interested in and his thinking about Star Wars had evolved. The technology had evolved, the way films are made had changed, and they result in a lot of aesthetic differences between the two trilogies. And we were kind of wondering, well, what would the prequel films have been like had George Lucas continued on his new Star Wars film every three years pattern from Return of the Jedi, which came out in 1983. So that would mean that episode one would come out in 1986 and episode two would come out in 1989 and episode three would come out in 1992. And it was kind of a fun thought experiment, like who would be in them, who would direct them, what would the special effects look like? And we thought we'd revisit that and discuss the prequels that may have been in the 1980s, if they'd been made in the 1980s. So we're going to start. We've all made some choices for who will be cast in certain roles and who would have directed the films. And I think we're just we're going to go around and say some names. Uh, let's start with Anakin Skywalker, the hero of the prequel trilogy. Who would have played him circa 1986? John. I think this is mentioned in our thread uh, a while ago, and um, I think probably the the most solid choice for something like that would have been like Val Kilmer, 1986. He's the prime Iceman Top Gun age. Uh, he has the brashness, a swagger to him, and a physical resemblance that where he looks like he could be a Skywalker with a bit of a Han Solo edge. Not only that, but as we've seen with history, Mad Mardigan and Willow, it's like, there you go. <laughs> like, it's kind of like, it's, it's all kind of there as a package deal. And uh, he also has the physical stature, I feel like, to convincingly convey the idea and uh, a brooding nature to convey the idea that he could be Darth Vader in the future. I think he works on literally like every level, the physicality, the excitement, the swagger, the idealism, and it going bad, you know? All of his iconic characters have a little bit of that edge in them, you know? No, I think you're right. And something else we should just address is that we are operating on the assumption that George Lucas's conception of the Anakin Skywalker character in like 1984-85 would have been a character closer in age to Luke in A New Hope and not the nine-year-old that he eventually became in episode one, just for the simple reason that I think he made the character nine years old. You know, he was a father of three, he'd raised three kids, and I think his his perspective changed. I think he got a little farther away from, you know, he was very close to being that young man, and I think Luke Skywalker was kind of Lucas's alter ego, and I think he identified less with that as time wore on. Yeah, what do you guys feel about I, that? I also do have an option for a younger version too, but I guess I can keep that till later. <laughs> okay, well, I'm intrigued, but uh, yeah, well, the younger option just would have been River Phoenix because that oh. would have been, oh, of course, like nice. that he, he would have been, um, right after Stand By Me, 
Uh, yeah. He would have been like entering puberty. So older than nine years better, old. Better age. Yeah. Like, better age. He's like yeah. older than nine years old, but with the acting chops and the, and he's, he's, he's coming of age sort of thing. So he would have like aged up with the trilogy. So by the time it ended in 1992, he would already be like the late teens or approaching 20, which would be still kind of young for Darth Vader. But I just feel like uh, even if they recast him in the sequel, like River Phoenix would have been a solid like boy version of Anakin Skywalker, if you want to go that way. But I always thought of Anakin as sort of like a man, and therefore Val Kilmer was my top choice. Those are great picks. Russ, who's on your list for Anakin? Oh, this is interesting. So I'm glad uh, you mentioned Val Kilmer. Uh, so I might I might mess this name up, but Adrian Pastar. Um, oh, uh, yeah. So oh, yeah. so near <laughs> so so near. They're near both dark. in Top Gun. They're both in Top Gun. I was thinking more near Dark, but I like the connection. Yep. yep. Uh, uh, he had for me for me he is the look where they could they could give him some little frosted tips, you know, blonde it up a bit, and uh, and kind of give him like a like a happy go lucky younger kind of thing. Uh, and I think he could easily age into dark, like go back to normal. And, and he's kind of, he's kind of that dark horse. Um, and I think would be a perfect, uh, Anakin Skywalker. Um, but that, that being said, as, uh, we're talking about like an older version of Anakin, um, and I, I don't know, you know, we're not going to talk about, you know, rewriting the prequels, but I always imagined, uh, he would still be kind of like a slick street kid. It would, it would start on Coruscant. You know, and and he'd be racing, you know, speeder bikes, you know, swoop bikes, whatever you want to call them, you know, in the alleys and making money and do, you know, flying like, you know, freelance gigs, and just he's he's trying to make money to survive that kind of thing. So I see him as a little bit edgier, and that's why I go with, with Adrian Pastar uh, as my as my choice. I feel like he can carry um, uh, the darkness of the character because he is kind of born in the dark, and then eventually mm. they'll find their way to tattooing, I suppose. At, at least but, uh, near dark. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. That, that, was, <laughs> that was on the that was on the platter for me. By the way, you don't have to make his hair blonde because uh because he could be the dark haired one and, and his wife Padme could be the blonde one too. Like it doesn't have to be the father that's blonde. Right. Yeah. yeah that's very not? true. But also it's Hollywood. You can make anyone older, younger, blonder. Yeah, whatever. whatever. I mean, like yeah. me, my my parents, me and my brother all have like different hair colors. So like it really doesn't matter that much. Yeah. But that's Mutants. a great a great pick. Hell that's yeah. a great pick. I never would have, I never would have thought of that. But that's a really good pick. I really right, like I that a lot. Pick? Yes. It, <laughs> but, it's, uh, actually, it's funny but, uh, you mention that because I, I have another near dark pick for later on if we go into more characters. But I'll, I'll, so I'll do say I. Oh, nice. So do I. We're now, yeah. Oh, that could be that could be pretty much any of that cast. Yeah, that's why okay, I was right. thinking of Adrian Adrian Pazar too for specifically because of near dark because nice. he goes from like like easy yeah. going cowboy to brooding vampire. But yes. uh, my back, my other one was uh, Clayton Roner. You know that is from just one of the guys. Oh, uh, wow. he was like, he was, was, like he the, was, he, was he the main guy or was he the bad? The, the bad guy is William Zapko, so he must be the yeah. main dude. Yeah, the yeah, main the guy. one oh. that like, right. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Good. I yeah, that's a good pick. Because he was like, I mean, he was technically part of the Brad Pack, but he was like the one that like never like really made a big splash. So I feel like he would be the one to hop into, or I feel like any of those other. Rap actors would be they would it was like it would Star Wars tech even though it's a huge movie it wouldn't be hip enough for them. Yeah, that that's a good Anakin choice as well. I I totally see it. Uh, and yeah, then just for that's... fun, like if we if there was a young Anakin, I was thinking Barrett Over, which is the kid from Neverending Story. Uh, oh yeah, 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 Neverending Story. Kid. Oh, he's a photographer now. 
a fine art Ooh. photographer, but yeah, he's like he's like that. a super hip photographer now too. I think yeah. he has like a big beard and he's like totally yeah. like edgy. He's like totally like edgy now. I think always was. Well, <laughs> that's true. I mean, total badass for history. Well, I'm gonna have to step up my game because my pick was just Val Kilmer because because <laughs> I was going because I was going with the Willow connection. Sure. Um, I think some of those are really great picks. Well, you know, it says to me, the fact that um, Friday Night Chose the same person means we're both right, and that's the answer. There you yeah. go. Okay. <laughs> that's how it works, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's, even, that's though two, even though it's two <laughs> verse two, yours is the mo more original idea, so therefore it has the edge. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, the interesting thing is that, like, I'm also trying to get in the head of Lucas and what he may have actually done. Right. And so, like, just knowing that he would eventually cast him for Willow. Makes me think he had me, an eye on him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, or that, like, in some alternate version of history, it just, like, it just, like, seems like that was something that may have happened. Um, we didn't mention from the original email chain, you had a really great idea for, for Anakin that I thought was a little, a little bit of an unexpected choice, but 1980s Gary Oldman as oh, Anakin. Yeah. I still think that would be a fantastic choice because he wasn't uh, famous then. He was just doing maybe Sid and Nancy like around that time. Yeah. And uh, he would have been, I feel like it would have fit very well with Russ's vision of like a street urchin uh, yeah. a hero. And I feel like Gary Oldman, as we all know, and the guy can do everything. And if he wants to be scary, he can be scary. But he could also yeah. be romantic. And he can also, uh, he he's a... He's a good-looking guy in a unconventional sense where it's like he just seems like um like the thing about someone like Val Kilmer is that he's a smoldering dude on a level like Brad Pitt but if you look at like Mark Hamill uh there's something there specifically after the car accident too you know uh and I feel like Gary Oldman's voice uh, face I'm sorry uh is a face that can tell a story but also can inhabit any role that he can which is why he's gary Oldman, <laughs> you know so i feel like uh he's a type of guy that can sell any angle of anakin that you want and you know he would put forth the effort to make it deeper so that when he does fall i feel like you would really believe it coming from him no totally yeah you know it's interesting one of the things that george lucas always talks about in terms of what he was trying to do with the prequels was the mirror image or the the inverse in a lot of ways of the original trilogy it's like you know similar character archetypes similar situations but then it goes one way instead of the way that it went in the original trilogy and i think mirroring the journeys of anakin and luke i think he may he may very well have gone for like that darker more more brooding version of anakin especially since return of the jedi would have came out let's say three years prior to this movie so you can't have mark hamill part two you need to have something right, exactly. that's different different from right. mark hamill to show right. that luke is his own person you yeah know? but that's a good point i think like the proximity to return of the jedi you would really have to contrast yeah it has to be it can't just be like the same sort of uh person yeah yeah, that's what I think would be, if there was going to be any changes there, it would be less mirroring, mirror like imaging between like the original trilogy and prequel trilogy. Like there would be a concerted effort to make things feel different. Hmm. So that's what I'm saying though. See, so when I say the mirroring, like I'm saying the darker brooding version right. of Luke. The, yeah. the inverse of Luke. Yeah. But okay, let's move on from Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Fry. Fry. I'm going to go with one of my like more wild ones, uh, Hugh Grant. Whoa, <laughs> good pick. Ooh. 
Because have you ever seen like Layer of the White Worm? Like yeah. think of this isn't. I'm not thinking of a like 90s Hugh Grant. It was like 80s Hugh Grant. He was like actually kind of smoother and cooler. He's very and, like, very suave like, in that film. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good pick. That's a really good pick. Damn. That is a good one. If for That's some reason really he didn't start stuttering until like the 90s. <laughs> yes. Yeah, when I haven't, I've, 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 before the dark times. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good pick, actually. Yeah, that's very cool. You're hired. Russ. You're here, Grant. Oh, uh, uh, Fry, you, you're hired. Uh, well, go back in time. You're hired back in time, so we can never disprove it. <laughs> <laughs> My choice for Obi Wan, uh, James Spader. Ooh, interesting. Oh, nice. Interesting. Uh, yeah. He could probably hey. do the accent. Yeah, I, I, I think he certainly could, and I mean. Uh, the, the feathered hair, like I think it would have worked really well for uh, for Obi Wan, and, and we know he has the uh, the acting gravitas. Uh, uh, yeah, he's definitely always on my my short list for most uh, plugging an actor for a movie that didn't exist is James Spader. So you're like broadening my horizons here. I wasn't even, I don't know where you guys were thinking. I wasn't near where you guys are at. Um, I'm in Fry's box and he's outside. Of, I don't know. Okay, Johnny. I think I know what you're going to say, and it's what I think you guys were talking about in the email thread from a while ago. So I'll, I'll kind of go with uh, one of my original thoughts on that role, which I think no one else thought of, which was John Hurt. Um, because I think Ooh. I think John Hurt uh, still channels the wise experience of a Jedi master, whereas the other guys you're talking about are very brilliant, but I think they're very much like a swashbuckler, which I think would kind of go with the Ewan McGregor vibe of like the actual... Uh, new prequel trilogy that we got but that's also with the lens of what you're talking about josh of like uh maybe different priorities i think maybe in 1986 alec guinness is kind of fresh in people's minds and he True. did seem he did seem very well uh he was gr white haired and everything like that so if you're going to go back to like 20 years you figure he would be like middle age you know and i feel like if you're going to go with middle age and wisdom and also have like a a gruff experience that people uh, uh, not question with authority and also a bit of a panache. Like John mm. Hurt has got a bit of a wise ass streak in him, which is really good. Mm. So he could do really serious and he could also crack a joke that would like break a roof. And I feel like uh, he just is someone that you would trust and that would be John Hurt. That's a good pick. That's a really good pick. And I yeah, see it definitely. like, um, like sort of around the eyes, like I could see him sort of being a younger Alec Guinness. That's a really yeah, good pick. Yeah, because I was thinking Alec Guinness as the end point, and I feel like John Hurt really goes in that direction. Again, um, my pick is super boring, but um, I, I always liked the idea of Jeremy Irons. Super I think, solid. I like that one, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> super solid choice. Though one that I was thinking of today was uh, Liam Neeson. Yeah, he would be. I feel like he's a bit. It's funny. He's a bit tall. He's, he's a, a bit, bit tall. tall. And and this is something that I know you're going to make a another podcast about. Maybe like if you were to rewrite the sequels entirely. I'm. I don't think I'm going to do that. You going to think I'm going to do that? Okay. I don't, well, I don't think so. uh, spoiler alert: If you do, there's one idea that you came up with <laughs> you know, many years ago, Bert, uh, Me? Josh. Yeah, that was brilliant. Which was the idea if you make the prequels that Darth Vader should be a separate character. Oh, uh, yeah. So then I thought if you were to do that, Liam Neeson would make a good Darth Vader <laughs> if it were 1986. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Or if you were to put Qui-Gon Jinn in this movie, just make him Liam Neeson again. Why not? Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, let's move on to, to Padme. Padme Amidala. Russ. 
Um, so so sticking with my near dark, uh, Jenny Wright would be my. <laughs> She's the whole cast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm just gonna take all of all of the great casting choices from Near Dark and apply them. <laughs> Slash uh, aliens. To... Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, also my backup was Sean Young. Um, mm-hmm. I also thought Jennifer Connelly, but she's a little bit too young. She wouldn't be the right age to be a love interest by the time by by like the second film. I think once once upon a time in America, she was what between like twelve and fourteen. She was way too young, uh, and that mm. was eighty four. Eighty three, uh, I believe, was once upon a time in America. But she would be the right age if it were eighty four. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's a possibility. Um, but yeah, I think Jenny Wright uh, works for me, and and we know the on screen chemistry with uh, Adrian Pazdar, my choice for Anakin works. So, uh, and then being older, I mean, th- those those romantic uh, little like inclinations, those little moments can start earlier uh, in in our revisionist uh, what if prequel mm. film. So I so I feel like she'd be a great choice. I think she's got a great look for it. Um, yeah, and Sean Young uh, would have been maybe a touch older at the time, I think. Um, so she, yeah, she'd be my other choice. Yeah, because uh, yep. she'd just done Dune in '86. Is that my mm, right on the eighty? That came out no. in '84, I think. Yeah. So, so she'd be coming off of Dune, so she would yeah. kind of be in in like kind of the public eye. Um, so yeah, so and the space my... opera. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good. Yeah, that's funny. In, in earlier in the day, I was thinking about uh, Sean Young as a possibility for that too, which is kind of funny. My my last throwaway was Alyssa Milano as a as a choice. That's really well, how old was? Yeah, oh, yeah. How, old, how old was she? And who's the boss? She's like twelve or thirteen. When like oh oh she, oh she was yeah yeah okay that would be like okay. two years into who's boss yeah 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 so yeah that was yeah that was just kind of her she and Jennifer Connelly I think yeah were too young to to play the role mm-hmm. so I think I'd go Jenny Wright more so even than Sean Young yeah I like it. I like it. Fry, who's your Padme Amidala? Um, I kind of wanted to put Joan Chen in there for some reason because, like, just Ooh. like, uh, just be, I okay. think, like, I think it's just because, um, in uh, Last Emperor, she kind of looks a lot like, like, full Queen of Amidala uh, attire. I, I think it's just associated the image. Interesting. I you like know, it. Do you know, uh, Haviland Morris? <laughs> She's, uh, no. from 16 Candles. She's, like, the popular girl that, uh, Anthony Michael Hall takes around, and she's also in Gremlins Two as Marla. Marla oh Bloodstone. yes. Oh, I see. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I like that. And just just the range of those two roles. I feel like she should have been in more things around that time period. She kind of has like a Heather Locklear look a little bit. Yes, but yeah. not so. Yeah, but she looks very different in Gremlins Two. I th- I just think that mm. she's got a lot of range, and that's it would be interesting to put somebody in that role that can kind of move as much as whoever is in the Anakin role from one boat to the other. Mm. I like it. That's a really interesting pick. I like both of those picks. John. Uh, I've had a few, but usually the one that's on the top of my list is probably Diane Lee, because I think uh, she uh, kind of like the Val Kilmer thing. I think she's like the whole package. Like she could kind of do whatever it is that you need to have. And she also has that fire in her that... um, I think could go a long way into like an adventure and be passed down to Leia and stuff like that. And, but she also seems a bit regal and she, she also did some like really interesting work back in that time. I mean, Sheets of Fire and the Outsiders and all that. And yeah, I the Outsiders like, is what I was thinking of. I, I feel like the, you know, I say integrity a lot, but I feel like she, she would have brought some level of integrity to it. I've had some other choices too. Like if you want to go on different, different avenues, like, um, if you want to go a little bit younger, uh, Mia Sarah might have been a good choice. That was a, 
Yeah, that was a backup for me. I feel like that one could have happened. Like, if yeah, they did yeah, because that would have been like uh, right off of Legend doing this instead of Ferris Bueller, maybe. Uh, and no. if you want to go the Willow <laughs> angle, you could just take uh, what's her name, uh, Joanne Whaley. Yeah, who played yeah, she Matt was on my list. Of interest. Like, she could have been Padme too. You know, there's a lot of choices. Ali Shady, maybe if she like want to be a little bit more serious and fun, she could have probably done it. Like. There's a lot, I feel, <laughs> to go with. But I think Diane Lane was probably the one that was just, like, all competent. Like, she kind of, like, checks every box of, like, wherever yeah. you want to take it, she can take it that way. I agree, though. I like a lot of the names that you you just dropped. Ellie Sheedy um, was busy with a short circuit, so she's working with droids, but, but she's uh, a little... yeah. Yeah. She's, very, yeah. she's like, I hit my robot quarter. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> my pick, I was also thinking Diane Lane from our original thread, but then mm. I was also thinking Leah Thompson. She would have been good. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Coming right so, off of Back to the Future. Could have saved yeah. it from Howard the Duck. Oh, oh yes, right, <laughs> right, yeah. So again, like sort of implicit in this, you know, if George Lucas is making more Star Wars movies in the 80s, then he's not, he's not making Willow. He's not making Howard the Duck. Though, I mean, maybe right. he is. I don't know. So my line of thinking is that some of the casting decisions that were made in those movies and production decisions that were made in those movies would have ended up in then new hypothetical Star Wars movies. That's hmm. a complicated sentence, but I think you get what I mean. Okay, uh, let's do Qui-Gon Jinn, assuming he's a character in this version. Russ, you smile pretty big. <laughs> What's your pick? Yeah. Uh, so so these that just came up with yesterday, the Jeremy Irons shifting up to Qui-Gon Jinn, I'll just throw it out there real quick to get out of the sure, way. Yeah. Uh, it's good. I had, you know, I chose my James Spader for Obi-Wan, so I shifted Jeremy Irons up. Uh, but my new choice, uh, I think they both work. Uh, Edward James Elmos as Qui-Gon Jinn. Ooh, interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and okay. my other choice, uh, coming right off Road Warrior, but Mel Gibson as Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh, mm. interesting pick. Yeah. Interesting yeah. pick. Um, how old was he then? He had a he had that white streak in his hair in Road Warrior. It aged him up like 10, 15 years. It was great. Like he <laughs> could aged, do it. <laughs> they also aged up Liam Neeson for the movie. They put gray in his hair when he wasn't he was like only 40 something years old when he did it. He was like 45, yeah. 40, whatever. He was he, he was going on 50. He was close to 50. I think yeah, he was he, in like his like, but late 40s. he was supposed to be someone in like in his sixties. So they put yeah. more gray in his hair than he actually had. Well, that's a good point. Sixty. He, yeah, he was a very spry <laughs> sixty. Metachlorians keep, keep young. you young, baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> That's a good pick. For full transparency, I, I don't really have a pick for Qui-Gon Jinn because I okay. just feel like uh, I was like, that's a character that's kind of superfluous to Star Wars. I love Qui-Gon Jinn. I love Who's Lee Mason. But yeah. like, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know how much of the story would have had Qui-Gon Jinn immediately after the trilogy. Maybe it would have. And if it did... yeah. He's a, he's an actor. He's a character that like so many people I feel like can play. Well, maybe you change your mind if it was played by Rucker Hauer. Ooh, Ooh. <laughs> that is that yeah. is a great. That is that is good. He, he was actually my. He was actually the top of choice for me to play uh, Darth Vader if Darth Vader was a separate uh, character. Oh, cool. But Qui Gon Jinn, Qui Gon Jinn, Tip- Rucker Hauer is fantastic <laughs> casting. I I give that to you. That's amazing. Tit for tat, That's... Fry. You got one of mine. I got one of yours. <laughs> uh... Uh, was he on your list uh, for Qui-Gon, Russ? Not for Qui-Gon. Oh, okay. Uh. Then, okay, then it's still <laughs> yeah. good. It's still good. Padme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a dual rope. He has range. He has range. Looks good in bike shorts. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have a few uh, for Qui-Gon, actually. I was thinking uh, Christopher Lee. 
Oh, oh yeah. Nice. yeah. You would have been young enough to like get away with it back then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then um, that also led me to the thought, you know, I've read some people saying Count Dooku in episode two, wouldn't it have been cool and more resonant if that had been Qui-Gon? Interesting. Either that or Qui-Gon should have been Dooku in episode one. Because if you're setting up that character to be a fallen Jedi, to actually have it mean something by seeing him as a Jedi in the first movie, it would be interesting Like if you have the villain of episode two, either a fallen Qui-Gon or a Dooku that we see as a Jedi in episode one. It's sort of like a cautionary tale of what can happen when a Jedi falls to the dark side. So we as the audience and the in-universe Anakin would see that that's a possibility. Like we would mm. see that that happens. Well, that's very cool. And it, it actually, it reminds me of my choice for uh, Darth Maul because I wrote down two different actors and for very two distinct reasons. And one was like, if they do the Ray Park thing where they have like an acrobat in there and they dub over his lines and he only has like two sentences of dialogue, I was going to say Donnie Yen. You know, because mm. uh, he was like, that's like peak Hong Kong, like Kung Fu cinema. And I think he was like in his 20s back in the 80s. And he totally could have done that. But then if you want to actually have like a real scary villain uh, with dialogue and uh, more of a presence in that sense. And if you were to kind of go with like more of an 80s choreography of fight scenes, I was going to say Lance Henriksen as Darth Maul. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. Yeah, because I feel choice. like, and he's a character that he could even maybe survive into more movies or whatever. But I feel like he's the type of guy that's like, we're going back with the near dark thing and everything. Like, he he looks imposing, he sounds imposing, and he can give you that stare that says like, I'm going to bite your head off. But like, he's he's a bit like a uh, menacing in the sense where you feel like this guy has done things that are that are inhumane to other people and he might have skills that you don't know about to back that up you know i'm so, just picturing Lance Henderson with like uh like intense makeup on his face too yeah the exactly <laughs> with that voice and this be like and those what? eyes too yeah he's like yeah. he has very intense eyes he does and the shape of his head and all of it it's like it's all like he could totally do that my one other real quick qui-gon choice now now, bear with me here. And this is presupposing that Qui-Gon, he's only in episode one. But Sean Connery, he's in Last Crusade, right? So there's the Lucasfilm connection. But this started me on a whole thought process where I was remembering in the Milius documentary that's on Netflix, Mace Newfeld, the producer of The Hunt for Red October, he, he shares an anecdote in that movie about casting Sean Connery. And Connery was like, I need some, some good monologues in this script if you want me in the movie we'd need to get a writer to write me some good monologues and mace newfeld the producer happened to have an office next door to john milius so mace newfeld suggests to sean connery on the phone how about how about john milius who very famously wrote the i love the smell of napalm in the morning he wrote the the uss indianapolis speech for quint and jaws so sean connery is like milius would be great do you think he would do it and Mace Newfield, he goes, yeah, let me see. Hold on. And then so he walks into John Milius' office and obviously the rest is history. So that's where <laughs> we get stuff like our old adversaries, the Americans, once they trembled at the sound of our rockets, 
now they will tremble again at the sound of our silence. So I had this whole thing. I was like, Sean Connery as Qui-Gon, he would say something like, our old adversary, the Sith, have returned. Once they trembled <laughs> at the crackle of our lightsabers, now we must face them again. And I just thought, <laughs> I just thought that'd be really funny. So that's uh, my pick for Qui-Gon, Sean Connery. The only, the, the only thing I would say about that, though, is that he would have been coming right off of Highlander, which is like a similar yeah, role. And I, I'm not sure Sean Connery's stature and ego would want to do that again, but he probably, maybe, you never know. Uh, I mean, I was, if the money's right. I was thinking, too, if you want to play uh, fun and loose, uh, Scott Glenn might have been a good Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, Interesting. And a, just a grizzled demeanor, and he very much channels, like, uh, Eastern philosophy. He was in yeah. a movie called Yakuza, yeah. but Scott Glenn was in this, this other Yakuza movie uh, from, like, the 70s. It was kind of cheesy. But uh, either way, I'm on a tangent now. But I just feel yeah. like <laughs> I feel like he's very believable as, like, a spiritual warrior if you want to have him in, like, a movie and dispose of him in one movie, and possibly even make him turn bad, too, as a bad guy. He's got the right stuff, yeah. It's there you fun. go. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. Let's do uh, Darth Maul. I actually didn't have a pick for Darth Maul. Well, I already blew uh, my load because I already said both of my picks. Yeah. <laughs> I got one. one. Oh, yeah. Crispin Glover. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> All right. I don't think anybody, like, they wouldn't even have that fight because nobody wanted to go near him. Like, no, <laughs> no explanation, just Crispin Glover. No and, explanation and, needed. And the thing is, like, they could they could kill him off in the in the same movie too, so that like, if for some reason they clash with Crispin Glover's style, it's like, yeah. well, he's dead, so they could just have to re <laughs> have but, to recast him and put prosthetics on the other actor's face. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, like floating upside down. He did. Yeah, as he as he yeah. should. You can't use yeah. someone's likeliness without uh, paying them. You know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that definitely would have been like the oddest Darth Maul and possibly <laughs> the scariest too, depending on how well he does it. Well, you have to wonder what the makeup would have been like in these films, because uh, there'll be a character that that we can bring up uh, who was CG. Who we are going to like, next. Okay, so, mm -hmm. so yeah, so they're going to be. So how was the makeup? It's going to be prosthetics. It's going to be uh, latex appliances. You know, it's going to be like, you know, star wars makeup and masks so it's, it's very interesting we can put you can put uh, the actual actor on the set this time and not have them be you know um cgi rotoscope replaced now that i think about it I, will the foe possibly could have been a really good darth maul Ooh. Oh, well the thing he is pl platoon age and uh he could do anything <laughs> well the thing with this role though like presumably this character wouldn't have as many lines well, that's uh, because... the thing. It's it's like yet again, like uh, I guess if you want to play really close to the Phantom Menace, then you're absolutely correct. Like they could have gone maybe Jackie Chan to play Darth Maul then or something like that. Yeah, I would say like uh, you know John Claude Van Damme or like you know one of one mm -hmm. of the action stars mm -hmm. of the period who had a lot of yeah, flexibility and could do splits with lightsabers. You know, like, there's like a lot. Like Benny the Arquitas could have played like Darth <laughs> Maul or something like that. Put him in makeup. Van Damme was like... on my list, yeah. but yeah. I was thinking. Uh, this actor named Peter Kwong, who plays uh, the villainous henchman Rain in Big Trouble in Little China, because he's a martial oh, artist, so he just has yeah. a present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, or uh, Michelle Yeoh. That would have been cool. Uh, I like it. Because I, I, I was kind of thinking, like, it, it wouldn't even, like, just necessarily even, like, a female version. It would just be kind of, like, a gender, genderless Darth Maul. Mm -hmm. Like, they could, kind of like how the original Pinhead in Hellraiser is in the original book. Oh, yeah. What's the name of that actor that uh, Kevin Costner throws off the roof in The Untouchables? <laughs> that, that one oh, he's there. great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that guy. He's like, I said, yeah. your friends squeal like a stuffed pig or something like that. It's like, that guy oh, could have been good. a good Darth Maul, too. <laughs> yeah. 
That's a good choice. That is a good choice. Okay. How about Jar Jar? Jar Jar Binks, who I'm presuming would have been in like the Howard the Duck suit. Or was that a puppet? The Howard the Duck? That, no, that was a person in a suit, I think. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it was a, probably a mix, yeah. a mix of times, but yeah, mostly person mm-hmm. in a suit. You know, it, it's funny because like, I don't, it's one of those things where it's like, yet again, like I, I, if I'm trying to think of like a, in my own head, like when I say like, you know, Lance Henriksen should be Darth Maul, I'm picturing a person with lots of pathos. Yeah. Like, so I'm kind of going to the core of the character as compared to like, yeah, we'll give him three lines. He'll do a couple backflips. Like I'm not thinking like that. So if I think about like the character of Jar Jar Binks, I'm not thinking of like a minstrel sort of thing. I'm thinking of like a really weird alien that no one can quite understand that could be funny, but is also just kind of like just something bizarre, you know? So I was thinking like Tom Noonan, you know, and like a really oh, weird alien no. outfit. Ooh, ooh, that's a like, good choice. And then he could be like oh, this really bizarre fucking alien. Maybe he'll be weirder instead of funnier, but like, He's, he would be, he's a good actor and he could, he could probably do that. He could just look like he looks like a man hunter, like with the yeah, yeah, soft but, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, but like, but not have like that Misa Georgia Binks aspect of him, but right. like, you know, just kind of like a weird fucking space presence that people don't quite know That's what awesome. to do with when he's around them. <laughs> I like to really love that one. I'm going, I'm going Paul Rubens. I'm going Pee Wee. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You're you're a rebel, Josh. That's a that's a good that's a that's a good that's a good choice. Prime Herman. That is peak Pee Wee Herman. That's that would good. be like the he's Navigator Pee Wee. Yeah, he, he he was the yeah he's the little he's the little robot <laughs> voice. Oh yeah. yeah. So and then he's also I'm just realizing he was also the voice of uh, Rex in Star Tours. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh right yeah. So it even sort of works with uh, the Lucasfilm connection, which I totally wasn't yeah. thinking. You, you know, oh. if you go if you go funny in Jar Jar Binks, I guess Howie Mandel could probably do it too. I mean, he was in that's, Little Monsters. Well, oh, he did the voice of Gizmo. Yeah, he does. He, he could good. do it. He's oh, got I the like voice. how he's just Maurice. Oh yeah, okay. from um, Little Monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have I have a parallel choice to uh, to Howie Mandel. Uh, I say Bobcat Goldthwait. It's my for Jar Jar Binks. That's actually, that's actually, that's great. Do, actually, doing, that, doing his bobcat. Yeah. Boy, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, coming, yeah. <laughs> that that's is, kind of, that that is, is, the best choice out of all of them, actually. Yeah, no, that is, that is perfect. So, so instead of Police Academy 2, <laughs> he does Star Wars Episode 1 instead. Why is everybody in the spaceship? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> That is a great pick. That is awesome. That is awesome. Does anyone else have any more Jar Jars? I think this. I think you can't top Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's yeah. brilliant. Oh, I was really proud of my Paul Rubens one, but I think we're unanimous. It's it's Bobcat yeah. Goldthwait for Jar Jar. That's amazing. I mean, I just watched Hot to Trot recently, so it was like fresh in my mind. Hot to Trot is a real, a real gem. Oof. So unless anyone has some other characters that they have. I got a few. Okay, Fry, then Russ. Um, Boss Nass. I don't know why. I just wanted to see <laughs> either Emmett Walsh or Dan Dea, um or Brett. <laughs> really. Did you take both have, of Russ's picks? Are you serious? <laughs> I have them both for Watto. Emmett Walsh and Dan Adaya. <laughs> were you watching Blood Simple? So we're doing Near Dark and Blood Simple here together. <laughs> it's that's good. Yeah. yeah, they're both from. You know, that would have been, uh, that's amazing. You know, what that's I amazing. Wanted, uh, yeah, probably. 
you know how Wanda show up in the Star Wars prequel? I always, there's always these two actors have very similar names. I'll make sure, yes, the, the correct order of name. Uh, Keith David. I always thought he should have shown oh, up. Oh, Keith David. Sort of, oh, yeah. That's yeah. actually, oh, that was one of my next windows. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was gonna say there's Keith David and there's David Keith, and I'm always I'm always like, which one is? Yeah, oh yeah. uh, yes, yes, yes. Right. Think about it yeah. for five seconds every time. <clears throat> exactly. So, but Keith David, I think he could play, pick a role, and he could he could he could play any sort of like ancillary sort of like uh, figure of authority with gravitas, you know. For sure. My pick for Boss Nass, I think uh, Brian Blessed in 1986 would have sure, still the been. Same dude. Um, but I was picturing just Dan Day and like. Just like a half-assed, like kind of aquatic, like makeup. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what, Marlon Brando. Yeah. <laughs> one, one day on set with cue cards and weird fat alien makeup with like a bucket on his head. He's like, I am boss boss, and then just like, <laughs> like that would be I'm, like fucking. Brilliant. He would have called Francis Ford Coppola to direct that scene because he's the only one he'd listen to. So George would have to call up his buddy Francis, like, hey, hey, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> You got to come direct him. He won't listen to me. He won't listen. <laughs> Russ, you want to do, do you have any other waters? So wait, so that was your water, right? My Emmett yeah. M- M- Walsh and Dan Hiday were my no, waters. That... I wasn't, on, yeah, I wasn't that was doing boss ass. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I didn't do a boss ass. So yeah. I do have a water, uh, Buck Flower, which is that, you know, the guy that plays a bum in like Back to the Future and plays a bum in like every movie. Oh, that's oh. good. Yeah. That's a good one. I feel like he never has a scene that's like more than like three lines. So I'd be a slightly like bigger role for him. Watto, Watto. That's a character I didn't think about. I don't know why, but immediately I'm like Dennis Hopper. I just like, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. You can't take the kid, man. <laughs> He's my livelihood. <laughs> That's great. Or Harry Dean Stanton. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A little more reserved of a Watto, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the, his yeah. character from Twin Peaks. Oh, there's a big Fortuna cameo, and I, I, won't, I would say <laughs> that that could have been Rick Mayall because um, wow. in Return of the Jedi, he was played by, I think his name is Michael Carter, who is like, he's an yeah. American werewolf from London, and so is Rick Mayall. So I just imagined them being friends, and like, that Michael <laughs> Carter couldn't do it, so Rick Mayall steps in. And also, Freddie Gauss is an American werewolf from London, so. Yeah, oh, I didn't he, know that. Could get in there. He plays um, a doctor, right, or something? Yeah. yeah. So, Russ, who else you got? We should do Mace Windu, like, officially. Um, so, so mm. Rucker Howard was one of my Mace Windu choices, and Lou Gossett Jr. was my other. Ooh, nice. Now, Lou Gossett Jr. is like, yeah, the, the, the he, he, like, he like, fits the with mustache. Yeah, yeah, he definitely with mustache, has the yeah. uh, he definitely has the authority of Samuel Jackson, and he also has the don't fuck with me vibe of Samuel Jackson. Uh, and, <laughs> and I, think, I think he was coming off an officer and a gentleman at the time, so he would be yes, in yes, that, yes, in yes. that yeah. space. So, it's That's like exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Oh, and actually, uh, Deborah Winger could have been a like a Padme potentially. If you want to age up Val, uh, I'd say Val Kilmer as if he's the character. Uh, adding into like late twenties, uh, sort of a character, then Deborah Winger would have been right in there. Absolutely. I think the older you make Anakin, the better the story is because he's way too old to be a Jedi. Because like we didn't know Jedi started out as like you know like pre K. Uh, you know. So. Yeah. Well, so the other thing about that is that. When we see him unmasked in Return of the Jedi, he looks like an old dude. Because yeah. he is. And, yeah. The actor, yeah. the actor so, was Sebastian Shaw. He was like yeah. 70 something years old. Yes. When, he was he's very like older old. than Alec Guinness. Like, yeah. so. I mean, if you look at the original trilogy, it's very clear that Alec Guinness Obi Wan is supposed to be much older than the character 
we leave in Revenge of the Sith. Same thing with Anakin Skywalker. Same thing uh, with Anakin, yeah. Because when you find out his actual age, it's like, oh. He's like, like he's like 43 in, in Return yeah. of the Jedi or something like that. Yeah. And, like, and I think like Obi-Wan Kenobi's like, what, uh, what is he, like 58 or something? Yeah, like that? yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like, no. <laughs> it's like that guy, that guy is not 58 years old, you know? I think he turned, uh, did he turn... How old was he on set? Did he turn 70 on set or was he like 60 something on set? No, like, no, he was he was 57. Was he 57? Yeah, Alec Guinness? Alec Guinness was? Yeah. I All don't right. know about that. I'm looking that up. Pretty sure. <laughs> I'm coming out of Malarkey. Yeah, he was born in 1914. So he was 62 when they shot it. So okay, so he's in the 60s, you know, like it's it's appropriate for the way he is presented in the movie. I don't know, man. It's that extra sun on Tatooine really ages you twice as fast, I guess. <laughs> I have another Mace Windu, uh, Michael Dorn. Because he was in... Oh, good. But he was in a Richard Marklin movie, uh, Jagged Edge, like Red Boot mm-hmm. in like 85. Interesting. So, like, he could have just been recommended for it. <laughs> it. Okay, interesting. Speaking of directors, are we ready to do our director picks? Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Okay, Russ, who's your pick of director, speaking of Richard Marquand? Uh, Catherine Bigelow. Good. She's one of oh. my picks, too. She's, she's, good, she's, she's one of my picks. I'm sticking on Near Dark, and I feel like, the I mean, timing-wise, like, Near Dark would have had to come out first in our in this imaginary thought, uh, because, you know, that would be the showcase that, she, you know, she would be perfect for this yeah, type yeah, of movie. Right. Before that, it was that film with um with Willem Dafoe. Um, the Loveless. Yeah, the Loveless. So, but I mean, I I think that she would be a great choice, and also like, I mean, like the the character, the depth of characters in uh, Near Dark, just like it, that, the movie goes goes deep. It gets emotional. Like it's really, I feel like she is the right person to both mix uh, action and and uh, real like you know character uh, exploration. I like it. It's funny you mention it because I think Near Dark came out in like 1987 which would have been after yeah. this. And yeah. um, my my pick for the first movie would have been uh, James Cameron because he would have been coming right off of the Terminator. And uh, he was, and he's Good obsessed pick. with Star Wars. And uh, yeah. that's what got him into movie making. And yeah. instead of jumping on a sequel that was Aliens, he probably jumped on a sequel, jumped on a sequel that was Star Wars. And oh, then uh, I think for the third movie, which would have been in 1992, Catherine Bigelow would have been my choice for that one. Interesting. And he might have recommended her. Exactly. He would have recommended her. Yeah. She would have done Near Dark. She would have done Near Point Dark. Break. And then yes. right. at, this, at that point, I mean, Hollywood is terrible when it comes to gender politics, but she would yeah, have proven herself point, as someone that right. could do an action movie. James Cameron yeah. already proved he can do an action movie and special effects. But I feel like with, uh, I feel like by 1992, they would have trusted her to do Star Wars probably. My only thing with James Cameron is that I feel like they really would have butted heads him and george lucas maybe yeah i mean it's it's funny like george would have had to like implicitly trusted james cameron to do it well so so this is getting back at another thing that we would have to assume so because i think in the real world the reason why george lucas waited so long to direct another star wars movie is because he was exhausted and he he wanted to focus on his family and concentrate on his kids and his company. So if you still work with that, that, you know, sort of mindset, the reason to keep making Star Wars movies is because that's what keeps his company going. That's mm-hmm. what keeps paying for payroll. Right. So if he's sort of doing these movies out of a sense of the obligation to 
do all the work he wants to do in terms of the R&D for, for filmmaking technology and pushing the boundaries of effects technology and stuff. You know, hypothetically, he may have been willing to kind of be even more hands off than he was on Jedi because he recognized that he can't really do that. Right. So so in that sense, you know, maybe it would have made more sense to go with someone who had shown they they could do it, who who maybe he was still early enough in his career and still like young enough to still be kind of in awe a little bit 100%, of Lucas. 100 percent. I was going to say you already have the uh, the uh, the fact that he was asking people like David Lynch and I believe David Cronenberg, if they want to do Jedi, they at least Lynch turned him down. Um, I, maybe Cronenberg was never really in a mix, but I heard. Yeah, I don't know. But, I don't know if I've heard of David. But, but, but at <laughs> least <laughs> just with the notion of him asking David Lynch is enough to him be like, I'm trusting this artist who really wants to yeah. do their own thing. Now, to your point too, I completely agree that James Cameron is coming off the Terminator and he, I think, would have been hungry to tackle a movie like Star Wars uh, to prove he could, uh, to prove himself to prove, the, to prove he can do what he wants. I don't think post Titanic James Cameron would have done it, but I think like or or post Terminator Two James Cameron. But I think like right after Terminator One, I think he would have been like, "Yes, give me all the budget, and I will yeah. show you what James Cameron can do." Speaking in yeah. the third person, <laughs> and then like <laughs> and I feel like and, also, uh, and it would have been it would have been like a proving ground for him, and it might have been just as much of a nightmare as it was for him to make Aliens. Because what Aliens was his trial by fire, and it was oh, a which, fucking nightmare for him. But he made which, it, you know. Which they also shot in the UK. Exactly. So he would so, have. Yeah. It would have been the same, a similar experience, but Star Wars instead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. I think I'm sold. I think I'm sold on Cameron. Um, <laughs> Fry. Like you mentioned before, that David Lynch thing is part of what makes me think this could potentially be possible. John Carpenter. Uh, because oh, interesting. Um, yeah, because I, it's the only it's the only like sliver of time when that might have happened because that's when John Carpenter was working like started to do like big Hollywood movies and he hated that experience so much that after Big Trouble in Little China, which was '86, is when he went back yeah. to doing. Uh, but so I imagine this as I as I hate to sacrifice Big Trouble in Little China, but this would be in place of that and like this would oh. be the final. Yeah, man. The final the, big movie that he after the thing and after uh, Escape from New York, like yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Really writes good. history with a heavy pen. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I I'm gonna steal that. That's great. Um, okay, my picks are comparatively boring. Um, my... <laughs> I was going back and forth. No, no, uh, okay. no. I don't think that maybe ever would have happened. Like. Uh, no, he, he, they would have done it by now if that was ever a thing. They were, yeah, yeah. It was known. My pick is actually John Cordy, who directed the first Ewoks TV movie. Oh, okay, because we've been priming him, I guess. So we discussed this way back on the newsletter episode, but John Cordy, who who then I mistakenly said I thought was possibly one of Lucas's roommates at USC. He was actually much more than that. He was a local San Francisco independent filmmaker who was the direct inspiration for Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas to found American Zoetrope because he basically oh, had, yeah, because he basically had an entire film studio and post facilities on like at a farm and a barn and he had all his own equipment and he was basically like a one man studio shooting these really interesting independent films, some of which are cult classics in like cinephile circles mm. and 
So it seems like what happened when he made the Ewoks movie was, um, I mean, I don't know if like he, he was like, he was like helping out a friend because he needed money or like he just wanted someone that he knew he could trust or he could kind of leave alone. But he went to John Cordy for the Ewoks movie, which came out in 85. So it stands to reason he may have gone to him for episode one, like a safe pair of hands that he knew he could trust. And uh, yeah, so that's my pick for episode one is, is is John Cordy. That's not boring. That's that's a really not, no nobody would have ever said that. Like that's why that I don't think it's boring at all. I think it's actually rather insightful. Oh, thanks. My <laughs> other possibility I thought was maybe Willard Hike and Gloria and Gloria Katz, who wrote the script for American Graffiti and did the final polish mm. on the original Star Wars, who again were close friends, who directed Howard the Duck for George Lucas. That's funny. Though I like, I think John Cordy is a little more, is a little more interesting, but um, who knows? Who knows? Okay. You know, uh, you know who popped into my head? Uh, uh, I was thinking how someone like Ridley Scott probably wouldn't have done it, but I think maybe Tony Scott might have. Uh, I was thinking that too. One. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking Tony Scott. I was thinking Tony you Scott know. for maybe, for maybe episode one or episode two. Like, yeah. Like especially if he's doing like Top Gun budget stuff and he already has yeah. the style with like the hunger and stuff like that. I think yeah. he probably would have done something cool. Yeah. Do we have any thoughts about what the special effects breakthrough um, sequence may have been for episode one? Like, I keep thinking of young Sherlock Holmes, the mm. stained glass knight, and that's kind of similar to like a droid. So, you know, obviously, they wouldn't have the computing power to make all of the droids in a droid army through computer graphics. But like maybe if there was like one control droid or something, the other ones would be in suits like the the rank and file battle droids would be in suits. And then like the main one that uh, would be the one you would face at the end of the computer game or something like maybe that would have been rendered in CG. Like the uh, a Death Trooper grievous sort of character like yeah. uh, boss yeah. fight of sorts that's yeah. interesting i mean or maybe um, they would have saved that for grievous in episode three i don't know well by that point it's 1992 so you're post uh terminator 2 you're, yeah, you're prepping right, for Jurassic right, so Park. My, they would they would have they would have done all sorts of cg for the yeah third one. yeah so my thinking for episode three the like special effects breakthrough would be the first naturalistic cg creature right that's sort of what i was thinking it's funny you mentioned the uh, the stained glass thing because uh, full disclosure, you know this. I think I sent you an email about this many years ago. But as a as a thought exercise, out of boredom, I wrote like an outline to when we were originally talking about this, like what this movie could have been. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I always thought that something that they never go over in a Star Wars movie is the creation of a lightsaber. I know there's a deleted scene in Return of the Jedi, but it's kind of like this throwaway thing that they clearly, literally threw away. It's not in the movie, uh, so I feel like. Um, I think like if you're going to be making um, the first Star Wars movie uh, with Anakin Skywalker becoming a Jedi Knight and he has a lightsaber that he ha ends up handing over, well, that Obi-Wan hands over to Luke, like maybe there should be a moment where he's See how in you the make process it. of how he makes it. So in order to make it, as we know, there are these crystals. So I thought it would be cool if he was in like a crystal sort of planet and he goes on the vision quest to find his crystal to make his lightsaber. That being said, that might be a good sequence in the movie to have that CG crystalline crystal sort of creatures, like crystal, crystal creature creatures like the dogs something. in the Last Jedi, except yeah. like or even just like a vision that he has. Well, like like let's get into some weird Excalibur shit where like you yeah. know like when they, when they go to find like the Holy Grail, like 
that's like some sort of like scene where he's like trying to get the crystal and like some like crazy CG thing that he has to overcome with either his spirit or I don't know. I'm just making this up. And then like, and no, then that's like, really cool. But, but it's a good excuse to have like a CG, like use your imagination at that point, you know? Yeah. And really, really lean into the fantasy aspect of Star Wars with just like one scene. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> yeah. Paul Verhoeven for, for episode one, maybe. <laughs> a whole, a, a whole we... lot more blood, a whole lot more tits. <laughs> yeah. He was actually not the one I was going to go with, but I really wanted to pick him for three, for episode three, <laughs> just because of like, I'd like to see like the Verhoeven violence just like uh, applied, but just, you know, like toned down a little bit and applied I, to like almost Anakin. I could see Michael Ironside popping up as a bad guy or uh, Peter Weller popping up as a bad guy or something Ooh. like that, you know? Ooh, both. Yeah, it's actually a shit. Yeah, so Michael Ironside is the kind of actor who who shows up in all of these B-sci-fi movies in the 80s and 90s who who I feel like if they made these movies, then would be in them. Michael Ironside would have showed up in yeah. them eventually. He would be like the uh, the gruff soldier or like, the gruff like renegade. Like Captain Panaka. Yeah, what a good guy or a bad guy. He'll be like the renegade sort of character, just gruff, but like get shit done. Let's move on to to episode two. What characters are in episode two that aren't in episode one? There's there's Count Dooku. There's Django Dexter, Fett, but, but he would. Oh, Django Fett. Oh, Django Fett. Yeah. How, but Jesus he, Christ, how he, the hell did we all forget about Django uh, Fett? Yeah, but he wouldn't take off his helmet in my version, so it doesn't matter who plays him. Maybe Jeremy Bullock still would have played him. Probably, Maybe. actually, yeah. He was a real actor. He, yeah. I mean, if they are clones, then it should have been him. Actually, that would have been another good character for Scott Glenn or, or Lance Henriksen as well. Oh, I'm, yeah. Uh, Inverted Wells from Mad Max 2 and Commando. Ooh. Oh, yeah, I, that guy. That's kind of based off of Boba Fett's original voice because he sounds like oh. such a villain, like, such like a yes. over the top yeah. villain, like just his voice does. So that's how I would, that's the kind of person I would picture under that original. Boba Fett mask. You know who I thought might be uh, old enough because he popped up in the 90s, but I don't remember seeing him so much in the 80s so much was Michael Wincott. And yeah. I feel like he's uh, a guy that could be like any of these roles, you know, including Jango Fett or Darth Maul or whatever. I thought of him, but I, I forget how, what do you be, how old would he be in the mid 80s? I don't know because I know in the like he might be too young. Let me let me look him up. I feel like he he's been, been around for a bit. He, he would have been 28. No, That's I'm sorry, minute. 30. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I feel like he's born in the 80s, in the 50s, like late 50s or something. Yeah, he yeah, would have been, you're, you're, you're right, uh, Josh. He would have been in 28, 27 when making this movie. So like that, he still, I'm sure, had a voice back then. It doesn't change yeah. that much over 10 years or five years. Maybe Dexter Jetster? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, uh, Bail Organa. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, good. So I, I, uh, I do have a pick. My pick for Bail Organa, Timothy Dalton. Ooh. Oh, nice. I I actually like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. All right. I think that's good. I really like that. Well, also, too, like, if he is the adopted father of uh, Padme, it's also a good opportunity to cast anyone you want. I'm sorry. Uh, right. Yeah, of Leia. Uh, he can, you can cast anyone you want, you know? Uh, I mean, he could be, like, well, I can't think of anybody right now. He could be Keith David. Like, he could just be, like, you know? Or David Keith. Or, or, or David or... Keith. That's a, yeah. <laughs> Either one. Take one. You know? Or... Or David Carradine. <laughs> there you go. What's the name of the uh, Dexter guy? What's the name of the guy from, uh, what's the name of the guy who's in Scrooge who is in New York Dolls? Dexter Poindexter? Oh, yeah, Buster, Buster Poindexter. Buster Poindexter? He could play Dexter yeah. in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David Johansson is that guy's uh, real name. Okay. Okay, I see that. 
I can see him working in a diner. Or yeah. I got Cl- Clancy Brown as uh Ooh, as Bella that's Rihanna. good. Oh, nice. That, oh, was, that's. Oh, I like that too. That's who? I like that too. As Bella as, Organa, Clancy Brown. Oh yeah, he would have been good because he was a cliche choice of mine for Darth Vader if he would be a separate character. But that's a good choice for Bill Organa. That guy's uh, got a lot we, of authority in him. He does. Does anyone have any picks for Count Dooku? I mean, honestly, uh, Christopher Lee. Yeah, <laughs> Christopher Lee. Yeah. <laughs> just keep the skin going. Yeah, yeah th- he would have got cast as Count Dooku. Would be Christopher and he would have been able to fight his own fight scenes back then. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was he your pick, Russ? Yeah. Fry, do you have a Count Dooku? No, I was actually thinking, um, you know how he's like, uh, he was Yoda's Padawan? Like, I thought, I don't know if this is a bad idea or not, but like, if he was actually from, instead of being brought to him like he was a baby, like, he was actually from the same planet as Yoda, either the same species Ooh. or like a different one. Oh, interesting. So, so maybe he wouldn't even be, I mean, he would obviously have a voice actor, but maybe he wouldn't be an actor. But if he was a different species, but still an alien, or still like kind of like a, a like a pretty like visually complex alien race that I would either want Raptor England or Ron Perlman and, mm-hmm. and make up. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Can, can I piggyback on that? Um, the puppeteer, yeah. it could also be uh, Jim Henson doing the voice. So Frank Oz is like, oh, yeah. you, you, got, you got a few Ooh. minutes. And so, because Jim Henson didn't have time to do Yoda then, I was like, well, now it's your time to hop on board. I don't know. Just to. Interesting. You know. Very interesting. So, so I agree also, Christopher Lee, but here's my left field one. Patrick Stewart. Yeah. He was in Dune and Excalibur. And Life Force. And, and Life Force. And <laughs> he played Carla. No, he did? I didn't know that. Uh, yes, he played Carla in the BBC Alec Guinness version of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Mm. And so I started thinking of the formidable opposite number. Sure. Could you see Patrick Stewart as like oh, a yeah. fallen a fallen yeah. Jedi? Hell yeah! If you're gonna if you're gonna go younger in age, uh, Gabriel Byrne, I feel like uh, makes a good fallen uh, jaded sort oh, of yeah. character. Yeah. You know what? I actually had him as um, yeah. I know he was only like mid thirties at that point, but as Qui Gon. Yeah. It, but if you look at the like a movie yeah, like absolutely. Gothic, the movie Gothic from around that time, he's like long hair, um, yeah. and I feel like he could pull it off. Well, he was also like in Excalibur with, with Lee Meeson and Patrick Stewart and all these other heavies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so good point. They, they all played like swashbuckling knights. So it's like, yeah, just choose one. That's <laughs> you know, like, yeah. they're, all, they're all very good. I feel like Fry and I have been watching the same Ken Russell movie marathon at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Ian McKellen um, could have been a good choice back in the 80s. Ooh. Wow. Interesting sure choice. He was, doing, but he was doing, he did like the, the keep with Michael Mann. Yeah. But like mm-hmm. he, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. But he, uh, he could, he could definitely pull off a Dooku vibe in the eighties or even Qui-Gon. Like he could, he's like make a Jedi, put Ian McKellen in the role. And it's like, and he can do it. I see that. Who do we think would have directed episode two? So this would have been 1989 if we're doing every three years. Sure. Uh, my door, yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, like my, my, my top I choices John, yeah. were, were Bigelow and Bigelow. James. And James Cameron, but my my boring choice would be uh, Ron Howard, just because I he's feel my like choice. Yeah, he's if my they gave choice. him the uh, shot of Willow in 88, 89, it would have fit nine, just as well. Yeah, he's my choice. Uh, what about you, Fry? Uh, Wolfgang Peterson. Who? Wow. Um, you know what? But actually, he was in my, there's a little bit of a headcanon to this because he would be the one that was originally attached to episode one and he had to drop out. That's when, <laughs> when John Favreau comes in. I forgot to mention that Another reason why I was thinking John Carpenter is that the last movie before that was Starman. So he's already done like lighter side mm-hmm. fun stuff. That's great. I love it. Uh, so, but then 
Wolfgang Peter City comes back after Enemy Mine and Never Ending, Never Ending Story was before. Oh, fuck. He did Enemy Mine? Yeah. Wow. Um, that's where I got my Lugato Jr. from, too. I was like, I was yeah. thinking, yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think. But then, yeah. so the Droid Factory scene, I was thinking that would feel like Das Boot. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my thing in terms of the special effects showcase for episode two, this is 89. I'm thinking the abyss. I'm thinking the water tendril. And I'm thinking Kaminoans and water on Kamino. So I'm thinking maybe the Kaminoans would be like weird water tendril creatures, or maybe their probe similar to like the weird mechanical eyeball for Jabba's palace. Like Mm -hmm. maybe the Kaminoans would have like a, would have like a water tendril sort of like an object. I mean, actually sort of like the water tendril in the abyss, except it would be on this planet. I think George Lucas would have seen what the technology was capable of and would have tried to figure out how to utilize it because, you know, his like way of producing these movies was kind of in concert with the art department and with ILM, like they were sort of bouncing ideas off each other. So I think if like they said to him, like, hey, like we can do like a mechanical creature in CG really well, or like, hey, like we can do water really well, like he would have then gone off and like written like a water monster or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, he would have he would have just taken that thing and wrote it all the way to the envelope that he could have pushed it to the envelope. It's funny because when I thought about like a, a sequence and 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 again in my thought experiment, I also wrote a kind of an outline for this episode as well. But it, it it's like I don't I didn't think of it as like a a special effects sequence as much as just like a visceral experience sequence. And I think like at this stage in the game, we're post a lot of gritty action movies or post Vietnam movies where we're post a lot of things and to kind of go with like the James Cameron, Kevin Bigelow sort of vibe. And also around this time, if he didn't do glory, maybe even someone like Ed, Ed Zwick, you know, Edward Zwick. Mm. And um, it would have been interesting to see like, well, what would like an actual like Jedi, because that's Attack of the Clones, it's the Coliseum thing. So yeah. in my head, it would have been interesting if it was like kind of a more visceral, like in the mud. And it was like a real like post like this is a post Vietnam generation of movie making post platoon and all that. So like, what if there was like a fight where there's like in the mud and everyone's almost like calf deep in the muck, and like and there's just like glowing lightsabers and lasers flying around and and like explosions and shit. And then like That's to cool. me that would be like a huge epic sequence. But I don't know yes. if it would be like on, on par with maybe like how like uh, the Battle of Endor was like a blowout, but it wasn't because of one special effect. I feel like this would just be like the the blowout, Helm's Deep sort of like action sequence of the trilogy might be like the Jedi battle with the Separatists in the mud fighting Dooku or Vader and things just get all sorts of fucked up. Not like in a rated R way, but just like in a very glowing light, even though everyone's caked in mud and like, and just kind of going at it. And then you can see like flashes of like, Anakin taking risks or like going, going beyond that he should go beyond and you see the shades of his darkness for me in episode two, but they still save the day, if that makes any sense. So yeah, it's cool. is that a special effect sequence? I don't know, but it's a great action sequence, <laughs> you know? No, I'm with you. I think you're right. Like the 80s action movie, it's like the heyday of that. Yeah. So these movies would have absorbed a little of like what was sort of floating yeah, around in the like ether. Post, post, well, Predator is coming out the year after, but like even then, like, if you think about like the flares and the last battle of like glory and stuff like that, like shit like that, where it's just like, that's cool. Yeah. It's like out of control, you know? And it's just kind of like chaos. Like you never, it's star Wars, but I feel like up until, uh, 
Rogue One. You didn't quite see the chaos of war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit, you know, so that, yeah. I well, I mean, of... you sort of you sort of do in the end battle and attack of the clones, except except I feel like it's lacking that really visceral gritty feel yeah. because it's all because computer it's all, generated. It's all not there. <laughs> it's it's yeah. like so you see a million troops and lasers and stuff, but it's like, but it's all not there. It's just like, but if you had yeah. real, so, people, but if you had to you shoot it, yeah, shoot it and make it look beautiful, you know, right. or or exhilarating. It would have been a real bitch to shoot. Something I was thinking of, like, this, I don't have, like, a special mix breakthrough, but uh, I, th I was thinking, like, as these movies go on, like, they they would, like, kind of start to become more self-conscious about, like, their original aesthetic. Because in a way that, because I think the prequels, like, George Lucas kind of, like, went with that, stuck with it, and like, it was kind of unique looking for its time period. But if it was keep, kept on going, like, um, without a break, I feel like he would get into the late 80s, and they would be trying to find ways to, like, I think they would be, like you said, they would add some CGI, but as much as they could, but there would still be practical effects. And For I sure. think you would see, um, at least in the first movie, or the first two, you might see like, um, you know, there's like air bladder effects, like where like you will have like practical effect and like you can shoot like air into it and like it'll look like yeah. a pulsating, like whatever. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like the, um, you ever see like um, the Twilight Zone movie, the Joe mm -hmm. Dante, like the one where the, where the cartoon characters come out and they're yep. just like, yep. yeah, that kind of thing. I feel like he would see a little bit more like that and like i was thinking that's what for that reason i was thinking briefly like could i make joe tante a director i think that would that wouldn't work i have a director to throw in there you just made me think of uh robert uh, zemeckis who framed roger rabbit is really exactly that it's like it's like how do yes. we how do we yes. seemingly uh, blend animated effects in this case you know 2d cell animation uh with the physical space and it's like you know they're using you know tennis balls on sticks and animating over it and they're, they're doing all these things these like basically pre-cgi uh, technique so i feel like he might be a great choice uh could have been for attack of the clones or that would have um, been really wild actually yeah. like the idea that maybe they would have tried to do something like that like my only thing is that i think lucas was sort of he was trying to figure out how to do things faster and more like effectively mm -hmm. so i feel like the laborious nature of that i think probably wouldn't have appealed to him though so but the thing though about that though is that he should have animated howard the duck Arguably, yeah. Um, <laughs> Everything but Howard and Doug is animated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that is an interesting thought experiment. Like the idea that, you know, you would have a movie that combined like traditional animation to that scale and like in that interactive, like, like I can't really escape that now that you've mentioned it mm. uh, because that is sort of like the 80s equivalent of what the 99, 2000 prequels were, right? Yeah. I, I, it, it, I mean, I saw that movie in the movie theater. It blew my mind. I, I was like, how are they talking to... I'm like, I remember hearing about how they did it in the behind the scenes, like Entertainment Tonight sort of thing. But yeah. as a kid, I was like, they're talking to cartoons. They are there. It's how is, yeah. it, how is Daffy <laughs> Duck playing the piano? How is this happening? No, Zemeckis uh, is, a really, good, is yeah. a really good choice. Also, I feel like at this time too, Stan Winston will probably be cutting his teeth on like aliens and makeup and all that during these movies. Like I feel like he probably would have been uh, either uh, banging down their door to be part of it, or they would have asked him to come up with a creature or two while they were making the trilogy. Mm -hmm. He would have done Grievous. He maybe could have done the Jar Jar suit. You never know, you know? Oh, you know, true. Yeah. Probably any of them. I mean, especially coming up yeah. with Stan Winston was uh, T2, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. He, yeah. he did like the Predator. He did the Queen Alien. He did yeah. like all sorts of yeah. shit. Yeah. So he, yeah, he was coming up right then. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe James Cameron, if he did episode one or episode two, he would have gotten Stan Winston on.
Yeah, he would have yep. gotten Stan Winston to do the oh, the, the droid Jar-Jar. army. Yeah, because, or the droid army because they also yeah. did the Terminator together. He made the Terminator exoskeleton yes. and all that. So right. like, I'm oh, done for the day. So, the, so he, he already has a gun like in his public kit. Maybe even one of the reasons why he would have appealed to Lucas, he would have been like, mm-hmm. okay, like he did, he did like a droid thing. Like, well, let's give him even more money and see if he can do a zillion of those. Let's see if he can make two droids. <laughs> the opening of the Terminator, like the... Yeah, the, the, the future battle. Oh, so yeah. good. Oh, yeah, the future battle. Like, he could have seen that and been like, okay, like, I want to I wanna do oh, that. Honestly, I think that one scene is the perfect demo reel to do Star Wars, just to show him the, the opening. <laughs> yeah, just show him the Terminator, and he's like, all right, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, he could totally... But you have to drop, you know? It's like... And that movie That's... is totally from Star Wars. It's Star Wars inspiring James Cameron. James Cameron is recruited to do Star Wars, you know? Right, exactly. Okay, I really like that. Uh, let's move on to episode three. What new characters are in episode three besides General Grievous? Are there any? Not really. Grievous. And uh, Mon Mothma and stuff like that. But you can get like the same actor to play Mon Mothma. She was just yeah, I mean, if Mon Mothma was there, yeah. they just would have hired the actor that they got for Return of the Jedi, she would have just uh, returned. She was she was in a show, a British spy show from the 80s that I really liked. And when I realized it was the same actor as Mon Mothma, I was like, oh, fuck, Mon Mothma's in this. Um, <laughs> Mr. Palfrey of Westminster is the name of the show. Mm. <laughs> it's the most uh, British-sounding name of a show ever. Um, uh, Carolyn something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so <laughs> who would, sorry, um, who would have played General Grievous? Would he have been an actor or would he have been? He would have been a voice. I he think, would have been a voice. Are we thinking it would have been like, been uh, like part animatronic, part CG, like he would have gone that. I feel like he would have been the character he would have went crazy with in 1992. It would have been Kane Robocop 2, kind of like um, like a mix of like TV screen. Oh, yeah. With like, like, yeah. like, 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 like Phil, Phil Tippett did the stop motion for, for Kane and Robocop home, yeah. Who is also I, Tom Noonan, if I remember correctly. Yep, correct. And, yeah. is also, and, is, and is also directed by Irvin Kirshner, who did That's Empire. Right. It's like poetry, so. it rhymes. <laughs> I love it. So episode three during 1992, okay? So General Grievous, you think, would have been a voice? Hologram face. Hologram face. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was uh, just thinking just kind of like a slightly more advanced like T-1000. Absolutely. Yeah, like maybe he would have been like a liquid metal. Ooh. Um, ooh. He could have been like a liquid metal creature. appendages. They could have also used like if he had the same sort of plate armor that he had. I feel like that would have been practical, but then they could have used like CG to do like Iron Man things with his armor and gadgets and stuff. Well, so the problem with that, though, is like the motion tracking then wouldn't have been as sophisticated. So they would have had to do it manually, probably. Actually, I don't know. Who knows? But I'm just saying like they would have experimented with like the the robot nature of him. I feel like more. I just like the phrase doing Iron Man things. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, which Iron Man at the time was like really state of the art. So, uh, but also Stan yeah. Winston uh, built the suit, I think, for that. Yes, it's true. Yeah, that's um, when they still had physical suits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do. I will. I will say though, uh, if Catherine Bigelow is not doing it in 1992, David Fincher would have made a good. You uh, motherfucker! That's my. That's my pick for director. <laughs> well, so so because it works perfectly because it because Alien Three was ninety two. So mm-hmm. so instead of having a disastrous experience on Alien Three, he would have had a disastrous, disastrous experience, experience on Episode Three. Wars. He has the Return on of the Jedi three. experience, you know, because yes. he has like stop motion yes. photography or something for it. 
he was a model a model cameraman on Return of the Jedi mm -hmm. uh, for ILM. And so, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like he would have gotten his first shot at directing a movie. It makes sense with his, his music video and his model background that, you know, George Lucas would have hired him to direct the last yeah. Star Wars. There, there, there are options. I mean, even Tony Scott in 92, still huge. He probably could have done it then too. Yep. Well, so my thing though, is that I feel like in 92, George Lucas would have been making Star Wars movies nonstop for like 17 years. I feel like so close to the finish line, he would have been exhausted. And that's why he would have been willing to like, he doesn't want to have any more arguments with a director who has like a vision. Like he would, yeah. he would just want get it done. So like, yeah, like, so that's why the idea that he would hire someone who looks really promising, but has never directed a feature before work in the model shop. So like at his company, so he knows how special effects work. The idea that he would trust the last movie to someone who'd never directed a feature before. I mean, like you were saying, you know, Fincher was obviously hungry enough to direct the second sequel in the Alien franchise, like, mm. which I don't think like was like a young director's dream first project, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, to some, yeah. But I feel like he was more, uh, I don't want to say naive, but it's like Alien 3 was the thing that like broke him and became and made him who David Fincher is. <laughs> you know, it's like, I feel like he might, I feel like before Alien 3, he might've been a different filmmaker with more of a naive sort of sense of like, oh, they're gonna let me do this movie. I'm gonna do this movie I want. It just like shattered. He still doesn't even talk about it. Like he won't yeah. talk about the movie publicly at all, which is insane. In my head canon, this hypothetical David Fincher directed episode three from 1992 has a very similar story to his experience on episode three. It's just like a, it's just like a total nightmare. And like, and George Lucas is like, you know, micromanaging everything. And he's like, he's like, no, it's not like that. It's like this. And then like, you know, he reshoots like whole swaths of the movie and like the exact same thing happens to David Fincher. Right. Well, you know, famously David Fincher will do like, uh, 87 like takes of like somebody's like which is the the total opposite of what george lucas exactly is. which yeah. would mean they would butt heads like uh crazy i i was just i just like the idea that it's like that's his judgment day that like it's just <laughs> inevitable <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking for similar reasons as david pincher uh joe johnston yeah oh, oh yeah. okay yes. yeah. plus he yeah. had rocket the rocketeer a couple years before that i don't think that was a hit but still yeah that's i think you're right I think that's the most probable choice. Like if it were to happen, it probably would have been Joe Johnston. That yeah, probably been he's there. already he's already on the team, so it's yeah. like a perfect yeah, choice. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I agree. I'm taking and that also, as my own. Robert Zemeckis for that just because they could do some Forrest Gump. Not that he has to be the director for that to happen, but like some mm -hmm. Forrest Gump uh, style of visual effects for Anakin. Maybe sure. maybe they maybe they got like some some Alec Guinness footage from like fucking yeah. From an older movie of his, and they like repurposed it. Bridge on the River Choir or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, to create sort of like a the end scene to link up the two trilogies <laughs> or something. I don't know. I think Joe Johnson is probably the one that would be. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense. I was just thinking of what the Galactic Senate scene would look like, and I think it would look the same. But they would have like a combination Natural. of Matt Matt Pennies and like also like for, like forced perspective that kind were. But they would put the background like really close up the foreground and just have because there would be you oh, know, yeah, aliens yeah. of different sizes. Mm -hmm. And that I think you would still have the ET cameo. And like they would, that's how they do that. They would just have like a little bunch of little people, like people like far away dressed up as ET, but with the fake fort background in the foreground. But I feel like the I, effect would look pretty much as, as it does. In a, yeah. 
I wonder if with the duel on Mustafar, the, the volcano planet, if they would have done something more in the vein of like a huge it set, you know, like the way they did Dagobah and Empire, or the way they did the entirety of Legend, you know, how they make it look like a forest, but it's just like all in the studio. So I feel like the, the volcano planet, maybe they could have went to Iceland or something like that, but I feel like to get that epic scale of it, they would have just had to fake it. And um, sure. without all the CG, that probably would have been like a magnificent set. You know, they probably mm. would have added some like crazy Sith looking statues and shit like that because they're going to be like, well, if it's a set, you might as well do whatever we want, you know? Uh, a, lot, a lot of red lighting. More, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe like the, the pipes would have been like on that like Tim Burton Batman scale of like matte painting and like architecture. So I feel like uh, well, it would have been interesting. Oh, yeah. No, that's you know? interesting. Oh, you're thinking like the um, 1989 Batman uh, Anton yeah. uh, first set. Yeah. Yeah, just sort of like I feel. I wonder what they would have done with like the factory sort of setting that they have in the prequel, and the in the actual two thousand five movie, but like make it practical. They would have, uh, I think, it would have been, I guess, more visceral. Well, so so what's interesting is that when I think of the duel on Mustafar, the closest original trilogy analog to the duel on Mustafar is the duel on Cloud City between Luke and Vader. Mm-hmm. It, it's that very similar like you don't know exactly what all of this stuff is for yeah <laughs> uh but like there is a like a sense that it does something and like you kind of move through it and like i feel that they were going for a very similar thing in episode three with like the that like the mining factory thing. or whatever it is yeah it's yeah. like you know there's like a logic to how it sort of works they don't ever really explain it right i feel like it would have been some combination of matte paintings and sets i think it's established that he does get burned up so they probably would have had some sort of lava flow thing even if right. they faked yes. it with like with gelatinous slime substance on set or yeah. something i don't know but you know the other thing i was just thinking is that we're talking about 92 we're also talking about the time of young indiana jones where mm-hmm. they really were playing around with digital effects and like you know crowd duplication mm-hmm. and doing set extensions and and stuff like that. So maybe they would have done it like that somehow. This is also post Temple of Doom. So right. they've already had those sets sort of figured out. And I feel oh, that's like true. That's yeah, true. So I feel like uh, they would have done a combination of, like you said, of just real actors and like other actors with CG uh-huh. and other scenes. But for that scene, I, I feel like 1992 analog budget with some CG uh, uh, boosting. If that, I don't even think they would have done it so much for that but i don't know i just think it would have looked really cool i, I mean dante's and, peak like, is only a few years off so i mean like <laughs> <laughs> would star wars have still maintained the level of popularity that it had had we gotten a new movie every three years completely unbroken versus have it go completely dormant for 16 years uh to build up that anticipation i don't think it's wrong to say that no movie has been more anticipated than episode one of phantom menace in 1999 do we think that we would have had like star wars fatigue by 1992 like do you think these these movies would have continued to like shoot up to number one highest grossing movie of all time like year after year after year i i think it would have went the same route as like maybe james bond which is uh everyone loves james bond it's always an event when a james bond movie comes out but it doesn't hit the same sort of hyper attention and crazy marketing that like uh, a new Star Wars movie does. And so, no, 
I don't think <laughs> people would have, I don't think people would have, uh, been so, uh, uh, what's the word high on star Wars. If they just kept making movies every three years. However, I don't think people would have stopped liking them either. I just think they would have held like, uh, uh, one rung lower on the ladder of popularity if they just kept having them come out, you know? Well, I guess we can look at it right now to prove. Yeah. <laughs> Frank puts it exactly the way it is. The way it is today is the way it would have been in the 80s. Well, my question is, what arguably happened with the four of us, we're the generation who came to Star Wars in sort of that dark time period where it did sort of have this like mythic status and the fact that they were already made and uh were like a fact that just like always existed in the world i mean like in my mind like they were like uh, the stone tablets come down from the mountain right it's like you know the idea that like <laughs> that like there were new star wars movies to be made is like you know a sequel to the bible is coming out it's like yeah yeah honestly so i wonder if that that nearly two decade gap had something to do with cementing kind of the mythic status Star Wars itself had in our culture. So, um, so while you might be right that, you know, right now is a good sort of reference or like a good example for how Star Wars fandom and the way people regarded Star Wars would have been in this hypothetical scenario, would you still have the intensity of the fandom? I mean, maybe I you would. I don't know. I don't, you would still, I guess you would still have that gap that where, where it goes dark, yeah. presumably after, after 92, but it, I guess it would still be different because you have six movies instead of three. So it, even that might be, you would feel, feel a little bit less like the Bible because there's just already so many of it, but then you oh, would still have that gap from 92 to like, like 2015 or something like that. But, Wait, so maybe, so maybe are we saying, so we have a 16 year gap in between episode three and 2008 when they have, they have episode yeah, seven. Yeah. Come yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I, I was, I was, I totally agree with Fry. If they, if they maintain the gap, especially the way they made, if there is a movie that came out in '92 and not a movie until 2015, uh, The Force Awakens would have been the Phantom Menace lover of hype, uh, compared to the what the Phantom Menace was when we came out. The Force Awakens still had a lot of fucking hype, by the way. Uh, yeah, but so not if, like, not like Episode no, One though. But I feel like it would have had Episode One hype. If, yeah, it, right. if it came out, if there was like gap from 92 to when Force Awakens came out, that would have been, it just would have, it just would have knocked the hype over to later. Yeah. That's all. And well, that would have been well, a 23 year gap if it was 2015 still. Well, I think yeah. the big difference too is also like media and social media and being able to see so much uh, footage and, and like spy shots and like kind of seeing a lot of uh, the, the production happening before your eyes and w where that would never happen in the past. So I think that, I think that was part of the element that kind of, uh, decreased uh, that hype factor for uh, the Force Awakens comparatively, uh, not just the time the time gap itself, but the fact that we just have so much more access. That you're like, all right, well, I kind of know what I'm getting into this time, and I've already been disappointed once. You know, hit me again. You know, so I don't know. Do you, those uh, film magazines that you would buy like at an airport because like you see like a mm. behind the scenes shot of some movie that you know is coming out. Like here's a picture of Harrison Ford in Last Crusade. I remember 89 or whatever, when they were coming out with the first Ninja Turtles movie, I knew they were making a live action Ninja Turtles movie, but everyone's thinking like, well, how are they going to do it? And I saw one photograph of like Leonardo fighting like a foot soldier. And as a little kid in first grade, I was just like, holy fuck, it's a real Ninja Turtle. And it was just like <laughs> one, like, 
it was just like one picture in the magazine and that's all <laughs> they had it wasn't like an any lead where it's like blow out like six page spread it was just like, it was like one <laughs> tiny like like one tiny like thumbnail it's like it's as big as like your pictures on my computer screen right now of like leonardo like blocking like a punch and i was like i cannot wait for this movie and like and so i feel like those movies would have had like the equivalent of like instead of like a web page it would be like oh star like magazine here's a picture of like you know yeah, starlog yeah like here's a picture of like i don't know like val kilmer in his robe or something like that and i'll be like oh my god that's what anakin's gonna look like and then like picturing the movie in my head before it even comes out so the level of excitement back then was like palpable man i mean like we yeah, didn't know dude, anything was... about terminator 2 until the first trailer came out it hung you know? heavy and in the like, air it, you could taste it and like, like a little more you didn't even know like a you didn't even know a movie was going to be made until you're <laughs> watching the another movie and all of a sudden it's like next year like batman yeah. returns it's like there's gonna be another right. batman movie holy shit you know like yeah. it's just like like we didn't we just didn't know you know ignorance was amazing for hyping up movies back the dark then. times i liked yeah. it better <laughs> and on that note <laughs> i want to thank russ john and fry if you liked what you heard please visit trashcompod.com and please consider rating the show and leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice you can find us all across social media at trashcompod on twitter facebook and instagram and we will see you on the next one